another edition of the Behind the You podcast. You can change the course of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. And we are joined by David Dinsmore. Thank you for doing this, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. I love when we get graced by excellence. A national champion is with us. We'll tackle all of that. But, dude, you're chartering boats down in the Keys. That's might be cooler. How'd you get into that? Yeah, so basically when I was in college, um, I got really into saltwater fly fishing when I was about a sophomore, and then I got more into it, and then as I was coming up on graduating, I was looking at kind of what I wanted to do with my life, and option A was to continue with diving and become a diving coach, or option B was to be a fishing guide, and I thought, well, I might as well give it a couple years and just go down to Isla Mirada and see if I can hang, and it's working out so far. I thought you guys had no free time when you guys are like, you know, high level D1 athletes driving for the Olympics. I thought you guys didn't have time to go down and, you know, fly fish. Oh, we didn't. I so I when I was in college, I would go out in the side yard and I would ca- practice my casting uh, every day for like 10, 15 minutes just to clear my mind. And that was the only window I had to do anything. <laughs> I got you. Just your yard, your yard somewhere in South Miami, right? Or yep. Coral Gables. South Miami. Yeah. There you go. You're from Ohio, so obviously that, that, that wasn't happening up there. So who even introduced you to that? Honestly, I found it on YouTube. It popped up in um, one of my feed, and there was a, a video of someone fly fishing for tarpon. And I did a little bit more research and found out how good the fishing is down in the Keys. And pretty much from that point forward, I was just obsessed with it. Any free time that I got, I would be watching fly tying videos, fly fishing videos, trying to cast and like work on stuff myself. Like I was just completely obsessed. All right, so I'm, I'm like a lifelong Floridian, but I'm not a boater. So just educate the dummy here for a second. So like fly fishing as opposed to deep sea fishing or like how many variations and differences do we have? Or give me a fly fishing uh, small tutorial. So basically fly fishing is um, you're in the back country. You're on a skiff with a captain and two clients and basically you're sight fishing. So what you're up, you're up on a flat and then the captain in the back is pushing the boat with the push pole. And then the angler is on the bow looking for fish. So once we get into a situation where we find a fish, you cast the fish. And then from that point, you just hope everything works out. So it's kind of, it's semi-chill. Semi-chill, yeah. Until you have to actually reel them in. Exactly. You're not dealing with choppy seas or anything like that. Correct. Exactly. That's my kind of fishing. Yep. It's a lot calmer in the back country. Yeah. The last time we went out fishing, we, we called it early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of upset stomachs. Um, I don't have any of that. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So best time of year for fly fishing. Um, pretty much year round in South Florida. I mean, it's summer all the time, but, um, I'd probably say early spring, uh, or late spring, early summer for tarpon fishing is probably the best. I gotcha. And now, so what's the secret? Like, so you're taking somebody out who's finding the fish, like who's finding the area to make sure your customers are happy. I am. So I I'm, I'm finding the fish. I'm making sure like I basically lead the angler to the fish. And it's up to them to get the job done. I'm the angler. Yep. I gotcha. And now are we offering any assistance from up top or like you're pointing us in the right direction and we got to do all the work? I mean, you've got the fly rod in your hand. I can't do it for you. So I, I can, I can lead you to the fish. It's up to you to get it done. I got you. Well, that, that old adage, right? What is it? You take a man to water, but you can't teach him how to drink or whatever, or, or no, take a man to water and teach him how to drink. Right? Yeah. So how long have you been doing this? 
and I've been fishing my entire life. So like, I don't only do fly fishing. I do other, um, inshore, like with spinning rods. So I, I, but I've been fishing my whole life. I gotcha. So when, when'd you buy the boat? So I got the boat two weeks after trials, two weeks after which trials, Olympic trials, the second one in 20 in 2020. Yeah. And then when'd you launch the business? The spring of 2022, spring of 2022. And you graduated in what year? Uh, 2019. Okay. So what do we do from 19 to 22? We were still trying to dive professionally or going for the Olympics. Yeah. So from, from that time frame, we were coming out of worlds in 2019, going into the 2020 season. And that was my senior year. So that was kind of like the stars were kind of coming together. Like we had a really good winter nationals. I got my personal best and then also had a really good meet in Spain. And then we had zones for, to qualify for NCAAs and we had a good zones. And then we found out that everything was canceled due to COVID as we were flying back from zones. Like we got home, tried to, tried to practice the next day. And then they were like, that was yeah. it. Yeah, that was it. Holy crap. Like we had one week left until NCs. The girls were supposed to leave within two days of us getting home. And we had one week until NCs. And obviously, you know, we know everyone knows sort of what happened, but to rewind the clock to that point in time, when they first, however you were introduced to COVID or the chance that it may not happen, did you hold out hope that maybe, hey, maybe this will just kind of, it won't be what it actually was and you'll still have a chance or do you know it was done? It was kind of weird because for a while, no one knew what was going on. So we were just trying to practice whenever we could. And then once the Olympics said that they were being postponed for a year, I knew that it was going to be a lot tougher than just them pushing it back a little bit because you basically have to start training again from scratch after like three, four months out of the water. So you've got to get readjusted. And then plus I had a lot of injuries um, going into like kind of towards the end of my senior year anyway. So kind of managing those was pretty tough as well. So we'll get into the injuries, but did you still set your sight on the Olympics one year after, or did injuries get in the way? Or I guess, when did you walk away from diving? Uh, after the Olympic trials, I finished the event. And then after that, I was just like, my body can't take it anymore. So you went for 21. Yep. I got you. So let's just talk about it. What happened to your body? So I have, um, I broke my wrist when I was in high school. I have a herniated disc in my lower back, and then I have patellar tendonitis in my right knee pretty decently. All from diving? All from diving, yeah. You said the wrist originally? How'd you hurt the wrist? So when you're going in the water, your hands are flat. So it was like one of the bones in my hand, like right here, just kind of snapped from just the repetition, the impact. So I mean, that one wasn't too bad. That was kind of manageable with surgery, but the back and the knee were pretty nagging for sure. I got you. The back's no fun, right? No, back is not fun. <laughs> not at all. So maybe the flat water for the fishing is pretty easy on the back. Exactly. Exactly. It's not strenuous at all. I got you. In all seriousness, though, David, I imagine a bad back's pretty can be frustrating. Walk me through the level of pain, discomfort. How bad did it get? So there was definitely times, I mean, there was one time when we were at a meet in Indianapolis and we were just warming up and I did a dive and I came out of the water and I couldn't completely stand up straight. Like my back wouldn't allow me to. So I was like, kind of like hunched back, like walking around. I would get out of the pool for like, try to take a week off to get it to relax. But like, sometimes I would just be doing simple lineups um, at the beginning of practice and it would just flare up. So if I could get through a practice at like pain level six or seven, like that was good. But like once it started to get up to like nine, 10, you I couldn't really do much, which was frustrating. Surgery or no surgery, right? Uh, no surgery. No. Yeah. That, that wouldn't be fun either. Yeah. 
I thought about it and I, I would rather have my mobility and deal with some pain than to be super stiff and not have my mobility anymore. Yeah, I got you. Now, I was told that Rand, Rand, your coach, who's a legend, did he have anything to do with the fishing? I might have a bad source on this, but I was told there was some mutual love of fishing that might have ignited some of the passion. But you said you've been fishing your whole life. Oh, yeah. So um, that was like when Randy was recruiting me, that was the only thing we talked about was fishing and diving. Like the first time he called me, like the recruiting process, it was on my way to practice. And he talked for 20 minutes about fishing. And then the last like 30 seconds was, well, yeah, we have a great program down here. We'd love for you to come on a visit. So like, yeah, man, we'll be in touch. And I'm like, sounds good. Now you like lucked into this conversation or he knew you like, like he had done his research. Uh, we had met a couple of times at, um, at some diving meets and we had talked about fishing a couple of times. So he knew that I liked fishing. I got you. So I, I guess between his, his legendary status, you know, the city of Miami and fishing, was there any reason why you were not going to come here? No. <laughs> I, I mean, why, why wouldn't you go to the U, man? I mean, it's the best. Yeah, but little did you know how the, how much the fishing would take off. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that at that point. But, I mean, looking back, everything has worked out very well. So so where are you in the Keys? I'm, I'm in Isla Mirada. Have a house, like bought a house, all that good stuff? Renting? Like, what are we? We're renting a house. No, we can't. No, we don't have our own house yet. All right. I don't know. Maybe the charter business took. I don't know. Maybe you cashed in some medals or, you know, who knows. <laughs> But um, it's a different life down there. Very different life, yeah. And you've adjusted well. It was a good transition from being in the hustle bustle of being an athlete and being in Miami in the big city. And it's been nice to just kind of slow down and take some time for myself, which I haven't really had for a while. And it's been really nice. It's pretty wild, like within, I mean, I've been there a few times, not a ton, but it's really, really wild that literally within an hour to an hour and a half, you're in this state, but almost in a different world. Oh, yeah, you are in a completely different world. I mean, even once you go down, like, further down to, like, Key West, I mean, it changes so much just by the time you get down there, and it's, what, three hours from Miami? Like, it's crazy. Do you have a local watering hole, like, where you just know when you walk in, there's Mr. Dinsmore? No, I do not, no. Okay, not yet. Are you in the circle of captains? Like, is there, like, a group of you that, like, you know, you guys are, like, competitive corporate entities, or you guys are all kind of, like, buds? everyone's pretty friendly i'm still kind of new to the game so i'm just kind of doing my own thing right now and um i also work down at the florida keys outfitters uh right next to green turtle just to kind of network and put my name out there a little bit i gotcha so back to your coach you grew up in ohio correct mm -hmm. and i competed in i guess nationally and internationally yep or at least nationally correct so your coach how well known was he to you as you were coming up as a diver had you heard of him? Did you know of him? Yeah, I knew I knew of Randy, but I didn't really know kind of how like much about the program when I was um, growing up. And then kind of my going into my senior year, Randy and I um, linked up. And then also like while he was recruiting me, we were over at Worlds in China. So we like just being over there for a couple of weeks, got to know each other a little bit better. And like through that, that's how he got me to Miami. You know, I've talked to him a few times. He seems like this like kind of chill dude, like he's having a good time type of thing, but what kind of coach is he? He kind of fits you. Like he figures out how to coach each um, individual differently. Most of the times it was kind of laid back, just kind of having fun. And then obviously he'd get staring if you weren't really doing what you're supposed to do. But for the most part, he's pretty laid back, but he's also very right to the point. So like, if you need to do like just a few things, he would just tell you that and move on. Like, just keep it pretty laissez-faire. I gotcha. 
I sort of joked a little bit, but like ultimately, why did you come to Miami? So the main reason was just like Randy and Dario. The fact that we had two coaches at a program was pretty unique. And I don't think I would be, I would have gotten as far as I did in diving if we didn't have both Randy and Dario. Um, and that was the main reason that I came to Miami. Then plus the diving outside was always one of my favorite things to do because it was a lot easier to go from diving outside to diving inside than it was from diving inside to going outside. So we had that little bit of an advantage. And I imagine up in Ohio, there's a little, both of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> time to outdoor diving in the wintertime. <laughs> so how'd you get into diving? It's actually a funny story. So when my brother and I were growing up, we were chasing each other around the house and he actually uh, ended up falling, breaking his arm. And so that summer he wasn't able to learn how to swim. So we moved to from Cincinnati to Columbus when I was seven and they sent home the little pamphlets to like Saturday courses and stuff. And they had a swimming lessons and they also had diving lessons. My dad put me in diving lessons and my brother was in swim lessons and just kind of went from there. Just like that. And you fell in love with it? Oh yeah. Instantly. Do you only do the 10 meter platform or do you do all the events? So, I mean, when you're growing up, you do all of them. Um, and then ultimately though, at your peak, you were 10 meter plat, right? Yeah. So that's the, at the end, I was a 10 meter diver. Yeah. That's the highest, right? Obviously yeah. the, the longest, the, the biggest drops, but when they start you, how do you progress up to 10 meter? Like when did, like, how did they get you up there to be like, all right, Dave, go ahead and give this a shot. Right. So, um, you start kind of at, um, the one meter springboard. And then once you kind of get comfortable with that, you progress to the three meter springboard. And then from there you go to the five meter platform and then what, then the seven, then the 10, but when you're growing up, like, so say the 11 and under age group is only allowed to dive from five meters and, but they can still do the one meter and the three meter springboard. And then the 12, 13 group is allowed to do seven meter. And then the 14, 15 group is allowed to do 10 meters. So I've been doing 10 meters. I pretty much did it for like 10 years. So this might sound stupid, but it is genuine. When the first time you advance the stage for lack of a better word, is it nerve wracking or are you guys daring enough that it's like you're seeking that next challenge? Oh, I'm very nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of um, mental blocks um, throughout my career, but at the same time, like if you get so much adrenaline from it, like it's, I mean, it's such a rush. I mean, every, the whole, every dive is only like a second and a half. So, I mean, there's so much going on that like your adrenaline is just going like crazy. And then a follow-up stupid question, but genuine is as you are perfecting your craft, and the higher you go up, I would imagine there are dives that don't end well. Yeah. So are they what I think they are? Is it just sort of like some form of flopping and not hitting the water the way you want? Like, and you just are you just working that out? Yeah. So, I mean, once you get to a certain point, you just kind of get a level of consistency to where, like, you're not really smacking the water like as frequently. Like, it definitely still happens a couple times a year. You'll you'll eat it. But I mean. Generally, like once I got to college, I was pretty dived for the most part. Like when they're teaching you how to dive at those heights, like I would imagine there's just at the beginning, it's probably not pretty. No, no. I mean, you progress to it as well. So like if you're able to do a really solid dive on seven meter and five meter, and like show the correct technique, then like you're going to be okay on 10 meter. It's just you have to figure out how to do the dive. So I mean, the only way to figure out how to do it is to do it. So once you... Once your coach says you're ready to go do a new dive, I mean, they send you up and you just got to go for it. Have at it. Yep. Have at it. All right. So how does that become your event as opposed to five or seven or one or three? Like, why, how did that become yours? 
like for the Olympic level, for the FINA platform event, it's only 10 meters. So you only do 10 meters. So like the five and the seven meter we use for like our lead ups, like to progress to 10 meter, but we don't use those for competition, but you can, okay. you, you can use it in collegiate meets, which we would definitely do in dual meets and stuff like that. But when we were competing platform, we we're competing on 10 meter. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! So you get in, you get to Miami, and you redshirt your first year, mm -hmm. and that was was that due to anything specific? Uh, we were training for the 2016 Olympics. Okay, all right, that came up. Uh, uh, one of the divers on the women's team was just on, and I think she hinted at in the future that might happen as well, right? So that you could focus on Olympics coming up. Right. So that's all staged and strategic. Mm -hmm. Got it. So your freshman year, you are you essentially are you working out with the team or are you working out for the Olympics? No, I was working out with the team still. Like I, I was still going to class and everything. And like for my second semester, I think the reason why we did the red shirt instead of um, competing was because I had a meet in February that I was gone for two and a half weeks for, and then a couple meets in like April that I was gone for like two three weeks. Like I didn't have enough time to do both the NCAA schedule and the the USA diving schedule. How'd you stay in school, by the way? <laughs> Barely, <laughs> but we got it done. <laughs> like three weeks. See you later. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely tough to kind of keep up with it, but we got it done. You figure All it right. out after freshman year. You figure out how to right. do it. All right. How far behind am I? <laughs> what do I need to do to catch up? <laughs> exactly. All right. So when, as you were growing up in middle school and high school, when did you finally have an idea that the Olympics might be possible? Um, I kind of like, I remember watching the 2008 Olympics and I made a goal of mine to like, that I was going to be an Olympian. And that's what like, and the whole kind of, a lot of my teammates, like were also on that path too. So just, it was a common thing that everyone was kind of striving for. And I mean, it, it was great too. Once I got further along in my career, like once I got to like later in high school and college, I started to travel, do some synchro with some, like a couple other people. And that would just push me to be even better. Like you have all of that competition because everyone's trying to get there. The guy that I, I ended up beating me out for the Olympics in 2016, I'd competed against him since we were in 2009. Do we dislike that guy or what's our relationship with him? No, Steele's a great guy. Steele's a great guy. But he took your spot. He did. He beat me fair and square. Have you guys talked about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But again, uh, so 2008, I'm using the 2003 Fiesta Bowl as my frame of reference. In 2008, you're what, eight or nine? I was 11. Right. All right. So four, so, yeah, 11. There we go. Um, this is on the fly. I can't do it. I can't yeah, do man. that that yeah, fast. Man. Obviously, you're diving internationally, competitively, et cetera. So you want to do it at 11 as a dream. When does it become a reality of, I think I've competed at a high enough level at what event or what turning point was it? Oh, no, no. Now I know I'm good enough. In 2012, we had um, Junior Worlds in Australia. And that event, I got third in on platform. And that for me, was like showed that like I can compete with like the other guys in my age group. And like, these are the guys that are going to be going for it in 2016, 2020. That's international, right? That's yeah. Americans, international divers, the whole field. Mm -hmm. And you're third. 
Yeah. At 12 years old. 14, 15. 14. My math's awful. All <laughs> right. So 15, <laughs> 14, 15, you're, but you're third. Yeah. And at that point, is it kind of like, all right, I can do this? Yeah. And like at that point, it was more of like, I, it didn't become like a goal. Like it just was like, it's going to happen. Like it's part of the progression. Like we're going to all of these meets. I competed at all of the meets that I needed to in order to compete in the Olympics. I got uh, the USA, their spots to compete for the men's platform event at the World Cup leading into it. So I did everything except for go to the actual Olympics. How hard are you training as a 14, 15 year old in Ohio? to get yourself ready for that. Like how much time are you putting in? Are you still going to school? Like, did you pull yourself out of school? Like, yeah. So went to school, um, it more changed, like kind of, I remember more of my training changing once I got a car. So like when I was 16, I would only go to school until about 11 o'clock. And from that point I would leave and then go down to campus and I would dive from like one to, to like eight or nine o'clock at night. And who was your coach? Uh, Justin Socher was my coach when I was growing up. He's now the coach at Ohio State. And then John Appleman was there, my coach, for two years before I went to Miami. Gotcha. And the nerdy part of me, I just like to ask a lot of questions, which is why these podcasts last forever. But like, are you a part of an amateur Team USA program as well that you're also being coached by to get yourself ready for the Olympics? Like, how does that division of sort of where you participate uh, unravel? So all of the coaches that I've had have been like, it all been my USA coach. Like Randy's also a team USA coach. Like, so in diving, like your coach is your coach. Like you have, like they're registered coaches for USA, NCAA, like they have all the accreditations so they can travel internationally. So all of my coaches were like, I, from when I had them for that time period, they traveled with me to all my meets. Your coach that's now at Ohio State was your coach and kind of mentored you through the whole process. He had me from the time that I was, 10 until I was 16. So he, okay. he pretty much built me up and kind of got my core stuff down. I got you. So 2016 Olympic trials, this is what you've been waiting for, you know, working for. And I know it went kind of hard, but only two people qualify. Yeah. Is that how that works? Yeah. So there's two people qualify. And that's so freaking hard. And it was tough too, because I mean, we had three great guys that all uh, me, Steele and David Badaya that year, we all we're traveling internationally, individually for Team USA. So it was a really tight race. You guys were like, would all go participate in events together? Yeah. So like Phil and I went to Worlds that spring. And then David and I both competed at Worlds in 2015. So I competed against both of them on the world stage leading into um, the trials. If you had to go back and look at it, either something you did not good enough or the two of them just had crazy events. It was pretty much neck and neck the entire time. It's just, he kind of got me on the last round. So, I mean, it came down to just a couple points. And I mean, it, I mean, it was what it was. I don't know where the other two guys are from, but I assume you guys are all just coming through the system for lack of a better word together. And you sort of end up at the same events along the way, continuing to compete and then prepare for this moment. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, exactly. We all go to the same meets in the USA together that qualified for all the international meets. So like with Steel, like most of the guys that I dove against, I would dive against them from the time we were like 10 all the way through the end of college. And like even just from around the country, like because the sport of diving was so small, like we would have, I think, 20 people in an event when we were 11. And then like it got a little bit bigger as we got older. But you just start to you got to know everybody. Same faces, right? Same faces. Yeah couple guys maybe drop out but for the most part it's the same crew right and you see each other every year and then especially how it was set up for us was when i was growing up we had the east nationals and west nationals for the spring 
So all of the divers from the East had a meet in like April. And then all the divers of the West had to meet against each other. And where were the, those two guys were from where they were East, East divers, divers or West divers. Oh, so you were always with them. Yeah. Always with the East guys. Yeah. I think I asked you this before, but sorry, it's late. You're friends with them or not friends with them. Uh, we're friends. It was more of like, it was a level of like competitiveness to where like we were competitors against each other. And like, we were friends, respect each other. But when the time came to, to compete, it was war. So like, this is what would draw the line. Do they get to charter on the boat? Yeah, they can come on the boat. Absolutely. Are they paying? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Might get a discount. We'll see. All right, Mike. All right. They're acquaintances. Right. Take me into the mentality because, again, uh, reading and getting ready for this, your coach said you were uh, like to talk a little bit. You had a great sense of self-belief. Some might call that confidence, swagger, whatever you want to call it. So what's it like around the pool when you're competing? Or how were you, I guess I should say, around the pool when you were competing? So I loved competing, man, especially towards the end. I loved it. I was so excited, like just so happy to be in all the events. So like I'm talking to everyone. I'm talking to Randy. Like I would talk to other people um, like in the event that I'd be competing with. And like we'd all kind of have our own like spots on the pool deck that we'd hang out at. But like everyone kind of acknowledges each other and like we'll chat a little bit here and there. Like so when I'm about to go up to 10 meter, I'm all relaxed. And then once I start my walk up, I kind of like get in the zone a little bit. And then once I get to the top, like kind of how it would always go would be, I would look at the scoreboard to see who was above me or where, like what was going on and like what I needed to, like what scores I needed to get in order to like stay in first or get into first or like whatever I needed to do for that particular situation. So I would always look at the scoreboard and then kind of do the math in my head of like what scores I needed to get and then look down at my coach he would nod, I would nod, referee would do the whistle, and then go time. So 16 Olympic trials doesn't happen. 17 national champion, you take down your acquaintances who get discounts on the charter boat. <laughs> but your reaction coming out of the water was awesome. Oh, man, I, I still get chills when I think about that. Like that moment for me was the highlight of my entire career. I did because it was in the same pool that we had trials at, and it just, for me, it proved that, I was good enough to be an Olympian. And that's what that meant to me. And just seeing my name at the top, I just lose. I mean, it was, there it is. That's exactly what you did. There was also a screen. Oh yeah. I'm not going to do the screen. There was a big, <laughs> was a big caveman-ish type yell that came along with it, but we'll take that as the reenactment, uh, David. How much did the Olympic disappointment, for lack of a better word, how much did that fuel you that whole year? Um, I mean, that was the driving factor. I mean, like, especially coming off of that, I, that was when my back got injured was after 2016 trials. So we kind of had to change everything, you know, change how we train because I couldn't do as many reps as what I had been doing before trials. So like to put it in perspective of what we were doing before and after I got hurt, like I was doing five of each of all of my 10 meter dives. So six dives, five of each twice a week. So I was doing like 60 reps on or 60, 70 reps on 10 meter a week. And then I went down to probably, I think 30. If we could get 30 reps, that was a good week, but it was generally around like 10, 12 reps for the week. So so basically your whole collegiate career, you were dealing with injuries. Yeah. And you were still a four-time champ yeah. in the in the ACC. Yeah. So a handicapped David Dinsmore beats the crap out of the rest of the field. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, it was more for me. I figured out that it was... I couldn't do anything about the physical aspect of it. So it was all mental. So that's why like I was kind of the way I was is because I knew how to get myself to do exactly what I needed to do in order to be successful. So like I was 
just confident the entire, like for most of my competitions, because I, if I was relaxed and comfortable, then I was going to dive the way I needed to dive. Where does that four time ACC champion fall in line with your other accomplishments? Um, that meant the most to me as far as what I've done for UM, because I didn't realize at the time that it was, um, I was the first person to ever do four consecutive times on men platform. So I didn't know that. And I would, when I found out that I got that, that like put it in my top things for UM for sure. So it goes NCAAs in Indy and then probably ACCs after that. And well, a couple international meets in there, but. You know, I was, yeah, I, I got lost through the international scene, but a lot of first places. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of wins. What's the coolest place you ever dove? The coolest place? Um, Shanghai, China was pretty cool. They had like an outdoor, like half moon kind of pool where like all the stands were in the shade and then all the diving well was outside. So that was, sweet. that was pretty cool. And then like another good meet that I had in China was in Wuhan, actually. That's a good story. <laughs> so talk to, all right, so what happened in Wuhan? So basically that was coming off of a really tough collegiate season for me. I ended up getting fourth at NCs and just had a terrible meet. And then we had nationals the week before worlds and I had a pretty poor performance and then we got to Worlds and we only had a week to prepare. And I couldn't train at all at the training camp that we had like three days before we ended up going to Wuhan. So we get to the meet and basically like a couple of the big guys um, stepped out of the meet. So it was like probably my best chance I was going to have at getting a medal at one of these international meets. So we fast forward to the finals, third coming into the finals. And I have um, one of my favorite competitors, Benjamin Offret from France him and I would always kind of go like kind of go to war against each other. Like he was my guy that like, we would always strive to kind of beat each other because we were like at the exact same skill level. And like, it was just, we'd have so much fun with the competitiveness. So like we, it's the fifth round and I've got two dives left and he's got me by 10 points at this point. And so he does a dive for 85 and I come back right after him and do a dive for 95. Ooh. So we're about dead even going into the last round of the meet and so we go up to 10 meter i'm on my best dive my back two and a half with two and a half twists and we get on 10 meter and i see him go i watch his scores and he had like 85 and i'm doing the math in my head i'm like i need straight eight and a halfs right now to get third place and i looked down at randy he smiled because he knew that i was gonna make it happen and i looked up at uh, my teammate zach cooper who was in the stands and it took him a second he was like looking down at the scoreboard by the time i looked up at him and like clicked in his head and then I ended up doing the dive for straight eight and a half, exactly what I needed to do and got third place. So it was for me, like his competitor to like go into like kind of a matchup like that and end up coming out on top was like probably one of the coolest things I got to do in the sport. That's nice. That's nice. I like the mindset. You fit right in yeah. it to you. Oh yeah, man. I, I, I'm in it to win it, man. I mean, that was the whole thing was we had just had our men's dive team. So when we came in, we were there to play. Yeah, exactly. So on the back end with COVID, we're, so wait, I, we talked about this at the beginning. So COVID knocks out ACC or no? COVID knocked out NCs. And then after that Olympic trial, was that kind of it for you because of the back? Yeah. Was it sort of hard to retire or step away? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Just like mentally trying, like not being in that kind of mindset of like the grind mindset of like 10 years straight, basically. is It's been kind of hard to step back from it and try to navigate just being an adult. So it's a good thing you're in the key. I think the keys is a good transition. Yeah, absolutely. Like it still is not, not a whole lot going on. I spent a lot of time fishing by myself this year, which definitely made things a lot better. 
Uh, you said uh, the NCs was harder because why? We kind of had a perfect storm. Like we had four guys going to NCs and I wanted to get all of us in the finals at NCs, if not all on the podium. Four UM divers. Yeah, four, four UM guys going to NCs. That'd have been like, awesome. Exactly, man. So I was just thinking it would be so sick to have all of us in the finals competing, have half of the field be a Miami Hurricane. Like that, that to me would have been, that would have been the coolest thing we could have done. That'd have been sick. I've only had Skyline Chili once. I thought it was okay, but you really like it? Oh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. You're a huge fan. But yeah. have you found a place down here to have it? So um, there's a Skyline up in Sunrise and also one in Hollywood. Yeah, so I, I have it, been to both of those. I thought it was eh. What am I missing? It's, dude, if you like it, you like, it's one of those things that I don't press it on people because okay. there's a good amount of people that just don't like it and it's not worth kind of fighting over. If you like it, you All like right. it. If you don't. No problem. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. No problem. We're not going to fight about this. We'll go, what other fight about the Buckeyes and anything yeah, else? Yeah, All right. We don't need to fight about it. Yeah. No. All right. So real quick. So people are listening to this. And obviously we have in this area, plenty of people that like to fish and, and, and whatnot. So what's the easiest way for someone to find you? Through my website, DinsmoreFishingCharters.com. Or you can follow me on my Instagram, DinsmoreFishingCharters or at David underscore Dinsmore. All right. Perfect. If that guy calls you. No freebies, all right? I don't want any freebies for Steel Johnson. <laughs> I don't want it. Steel, you'll get a good discount, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just a discount. <laughs> I'll hook him up. Maybe. He's a good all right, guy. You got it. Hey, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, David. I love I love all the stories that don't get told because uh, we tell a lot of them, too, in the bigger sports. To have someone who competed and accomplished what you did, man, Gorby told me it would be good, and uh, I like doing it. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. You got it. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, man. You too. David Dinsmore, national champ, four-time ACC champ here on the Behind the You podcast. But before we go, you can train together, win together. Introducing UFIT Gyms is the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join. All it takes is $1 down. Let's go Canes. David Dinsmore, again, our guest on this week's edition of the Behind the You podcast. Mm-hmm.